Uh, good to be here. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Jonathan Huff. I'm a pastor here, and so excited to be today kicking off a new message series we're going to be doing for the whole month of November called Taking a Stand. And I know there's something inside all of our hearts that we, we want to take a stand for, for something. In our culture, there are all sorts of issues going on, and if you get on social media, you see people taking a stand about different things. We're, gonna, we're looking at how God has called us to take a stand, the right kinds of stands, in the right way. And uh, as I was, was thinking about this, I remembered a story from my childhood that, that really, where my dad took a stand. And it was actually not a great stand. And we're going to actually spend about half of our time probably this month talking about how not to take a stand. Because that's, as, as, we got, as I got into this, man, this is really a lot what we need to cover. But my dad had just built a new deck on our house. And like, like a lot of dads, you know, he really got, gets into his home improvement projects. And this deck was a masterpiece. I mean, it was massive. He did all these creative sort of design functions, had curved wood and wood going different directions. He, he finally finished this. And we were all excited, put a picnic table on there. It was going to be the center of our household gatherings when we were in the, you know, weather was good. But there was a problem. That next, to, adjacent to the deck, the part of the house, there was a flat roof. And on this flat roof, there was this, this kind of unusual sort of roof, but it was like a tar, and then there were these pebbles that were on top of that, that part of the roof. And after the deck was built, lo and behold, the pebbles started falling down onto the deck, and they would get stuck in the cracks all the time. And I can relate to this because we've got a little deck, and my boys like to shoot airsoft guns. And those little airsoft pellets, like, they always get stuck in the, in the cracks of the deck, and it's so frustrating. And so my dad felt that way. He's like, man, oh, I've got this new deck, and now all these pebbles are all over the deck. And he knew that there was no way those pebbles could come loose unless we kids had been up there on that roof where we weren't supposed to be, and we're, like, throwing them down on the deck <laughs> or kicking them off. Because, you know, he had built that roof, too, and, you know, that, that, those pebbles weren't supposed to come loose. And so we had a couple rounds of, hey, kids, you need to stop going up on that roof. And he'd make us get our little, you know, jars and knives out on the deck and, like, clean out all the cracks. But they just kept coming back. And finally, he called this family meeting. And he had all the kids and mom and dad out on the deck. And my dad just took a stand. And he let us have it. Like, you need to stop throwing those pebbles down onto the deck. There is no possible way that this could happen. Unless you all were up there throwing them down. And he's just, he's getting into it. And we're like, but dad, no, we really did. He's like, no, you're lying to me. And I'll tell you, there are lots of times when we were doing things. I, I did lie more than once about things. But this wasn't one of those times. And so he's, he's laying into us. And all at once, this wind picks up. You can kind of hear it rustling through the leaves. And all at once, these pebbles start blowing off of the roof <laughs> onto the deck. And my dad was kind of like, we all just started laughing. <laughs> and he's kind of mumbling, blah, 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 blah. They wouldn't have done that if you hadn't been up there in the first place. <laughs> but, you know, it went down in family lore as the time where, where God came through and stood on behalf of us poor innocent children. And the truth, the truth won. And I learned two things from that, from that incident. One is that if you want to take a stand, you need to make sure it's the right stand. You don't want to take a stand and end up finding out that you're wrong. We need to be very, very careful about that. And it's very easy for us to, 
to be on the wrong side of things or approaching things in the wrong way. The second thing is that if you are standing up for truth, God himself will back you up. And God did that with us with the wind, and God himself will, will back us up when we are aligned with truth, taking a stand in the right way. Um, but, you know, that was, that was one of the few times that I was right. I find myself most of the time in the position of my dad. I find myself so often in an argument or a dispute, and it, things seem so sure that there's only one, the, all the facts point to this, this is clearly right, this is clearly just, and then so often I find that I'm wrong. And our whole, the, the, the prevailing philosophy of our age is postmodernism. And that's one of the tenets of postmodernism is that you can't really know what's right or wrong. You can't really know the truth. There's this great uncertainty. It comes out of a whole moral relativism that, hey, you can't really say that, that one truth is right because there are lots of truths. And what's right for one culture is right for them, but it's different for another culture. And so we, we live in this age of, of uncertainty. And, and postmodernism would say that, well, all, all attempts to project the truth, it's always a power struggle. It's always about projecting power over other people. And there's truth in that. You know, postmodern is a lot of fallacy in that, too, because there is an absolute truth. There is objective truth. And we're going to look at that today. But postmodernism is on to something in that we are always biased. And our self-interest affects the way we view things over and over and over again. And so over the next month, we're going to be talking about uh, how to take a stand and taking a stand. We're going to be looking at, at what we should take a stand for and how we should do that. We're going to look at social issues. Or this, will, this will have implications for, for social issues, everything from immigration to racism to politics to many of the issues that are very much alive in you know, our culture, our community is dealing with right now. What we're going to look at will help us know how to address those issues. It will help us know how to address moral issues. You know, just the, from the basic things that, that we deal with. The, how do you deal with alcohol? How do you deal with other substances? What about, I think one of the biggest issues for our culture today is marijuana. How this will help us address those kinds of issues. Sexuality, gender identity. How can we know what, what is right, what is wrong? How do we, how, what's true? How do we take a stand? Where should we take a stand? We're even going to look at some, of, some moral issues that really only Christians think about. And our, our last week, week four, is going to be kind of over gray areas and things that, again, most people don't even think about, but it comes up when you're a believer. Things like the Christians debate, like, well, can Christians, you know, what sort of music can you listen to? What sort of movies are okay? What sort of clothes can you wear? You know, what's modest and what's not? Can a Christian dance? The, the, the short answer to that is some can, some can't, actually. <laughs> But we'll get that. And all sorts of more. What do you do about Halloween? What do you do about your kids have sports on Sundays? And it, it, how do you deal with those issues? We're going to look at some of those gray areas and how we, how we navigate those. Um, but, again, before we can take a stand on particular issues, we've got to know what to stand for and how. And really, that's the question of what is truth. Can we know what's true? Otherwise, we'll end up like my dad in the deck story. Like, we're so sure that we're taking a stand for something, but we're actually missing out. And today, we're going we're gonna to look at a story in the Gospel of John. It's the conversation that Jesus had with Pilate, who was the Roman governor overseeing Israel at that time, right as Jesus is going on trial. It's a conversation that Jesus had with Pilate 
over these very issues. So if you'll look with me at, at John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. I'm going to walk through the story. So then they led Jesus, they as the, the, the Jewish ruling authorities, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, and he was the, the chief priest in Israel, to the governor's headquarters. So this is going to be Pilate's where his, his base of operations, the praetorium. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. Now, right, so let me, before we go on, I want to pray for us. and just ask that God would help us get this, because there's, there's so much in here. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, help us. Would you open our, our minds and our hearts this morning to hear you, to hear your truth. I pray that you would speak something pertinent and powerful to each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that, that verse I just read is one of those verses in the Bible I've, I've read dozens of times. It's easy to, to just read past it, but as I read it recently, this, this week, it just, this past week, it struck me. The hypocrisy of these ruling authorities, the irony of the whole situation, that they're it's the Passover celebration. is a time when Jews were celebrating when God brought them out of captivity to Egypt and they had to sacrifice a lamb that was representing that a, a sacrifice had to be made for their sins and it was also a foreshadowing of the Messiah who's going to come. And so these, these, these Jewish leaders who are accusing Jesus, who have arrested Jesus, they're taking him to Pilate to get him killed. All right, so they are, what they are doing is literally the most evil act in human history. They're about to kill God. They're about to kill the one who's never sinned. They're killing Jesus. But it says they were concerned about not defiling themselves so they could eat the Passover. It's like, well, we have, they, they were oblivious to the fact of, of what they were doing. They were engaging in great evil, but they were concerned with the externals. They were concerned with, well, what does our culture say looks good? What, what does our religious system tell us is right? What, what, what is, there's this whole mentality that they're, they're living in, that they're, they're being really careful not to get unclean so they can eat the Passover, but what they're doing is incredibly sinful at the same time. And again, it's, man, it's so, that, that, that power is so real in human nature. That we can be so sure that we're doing something just and right and true. But the reality of what's going on in our hearts is actually very different from that. And so here they, here they go, keeping themselves clean. In verse 29, so Pilate went outside of them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Basically, they were offended. Like, hey, we wouldn't do this unless this is the right thing to do. Have you ever had that happen to you? Like someone says, hey, why are you doing that? And you just, you don't really have a good answer, but you're like, it's the right thing. <laughs> ah, don't, don't ask me about it. I know it's right. You know, that's, that's kind of what was going on with them right here. We get offended. We know what we're doing. Yeah, of course. Don't, don't question it. I got it. I got it down. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. There it is again. And they're all concerned about the law. They're all concerned about 
what's doing what's right, but they're actually doing something incredibly evil at the same time. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so Jesus had predicted, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be lifted up. And so this is all part of God's plan. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? So Jesus gets to the crux of of everything, and the crux of what we're talking about today. Jesus says, hey, they're saying this, but I want to know, what do you say about me? What do you believe about who I am? Do you believe that I'm the king of the Jews? Let's not worry about what, what they're saying, what the people are saying, but what do you believe? And that's the same question that Jesus brings to each and every one of us. It's like, hey, I, you know, what they may say what they say, that your church may say this, but what do you believe about who I am? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, and of, you could also translate that from, it's the source of, of his kingdom is not from this world, but it's, it's from heaven. It's from a, a greater place, a higher place. If my kingdom were, were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I, might not be, that I might not be delivered over the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And that's something really important to know, because the principles of, of God's kingdom are different from the principles of the world. Even when we're talking about the same things, even when talking about things like justice and right and wrong and equity, these are things that, in our world today, the world talks about. And these are the same issues of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is all about righteousness, which is justice. God is very concerned about these things. But where we are coming from totally determines what comes out of us and what comes through us. And a lot of times the world may be talking about justice, but it doesn't have the ability to really bring just solutions. It's only when we get connected with God and his kingdom that we can see real social justice happen. Then then Pilate said to him, in verse 37, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. Why? To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. There is, this is really the, the theme of what we're looking at today. How do we know what's true? How can we know what's true? How can we get through our, our twisted motives and other people's twisted motives and emotions and figure out what's right? We can find the truth. What did Jesus say? By hearing his voice, by listening to his voice, by looking to him. Jesus is the source of truth. And we can't find truth apart from Jesus. But everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice. And he is always bearing witness to the truth. And so, this is what I just want us to get this morning. 
As we're looking, man, what do I take a stand on? How do I know what's right and wrong? It's got to be connected to going to Jesus. And not only looking to what he says, but looking to his character. And because, because that's really what the truth is all about. After he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, this is Pilate, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom, or no, sorry, I skipped the really important verse. Verse 38. Get a swig of water here. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And there's this ultimate question. What is truth? And it's interesting that Pilate's asking the right question there. It's the same question we're asking this morning. What is truth? But there's a, I think there's a, a cynicism in the question. It's like, what is truth? There's a, an unbelief that it's possible to, to really know truth. It's like, yeah, this is this, this great idea, but man, I, how can you really know? And based on life experience, how can I, how can I know what's, what's true after all? You know, I think about the, the controversy in the NFL right now, the whole, and, and back to last year, with the national anthem. And I think it's an amazing example of the difficulty that people have in figuring out the right approach to a really important issue. And so we've got, obviously, issues in our culture of, of racism and injustice, and we've also got living in an amazing country with amazing freedoms. And you've got some people that say, man, the way that we need to, to seek for, for justice and improvement is to kneel during the national anthem. And you've got other people that say, if you don't stand up for the anthem, you're a traitor to our country. And you should be kicked off that team. And you've got fans that are, that are staying away from games and all sorts of disagreement about, well, what is true? What is the right approach to this? And you can talk to different people and hear a really convincing explanation of why they think this is the right answer. But then you talk to another person and you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense too. And we've got a nation that's incredibly divided because, again, apart from Christ, there is not a way to come together and to bridge these divides. If we're just left to our own devices and our own thoughts and our own trying to figure it out, there's not something that, that greater that can bring us together. And so Pilate had that sort of cynicism that really many of us have and our culture has. It's like, well, what is truth? Yeah, this is just too hard to figure out. After he had said this, he went back outside of the Jews and told them, I, found, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to re release to you the king of the Jews? Pilate turns to what our culture often turns to, democracy. Like, hey, this is a tough issue. Let's give it to the people. You guys decide. Is, should it release Jesus or somebody else? Let's have a vote. And hopefully the people, they'll be able to find what's right. They'll be able to find the best answer. Well, guess what? The people don't always get it right. Democracy doesn't always work. They cried out, in verse 40, they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a, a robber. That word could be translated an insurrectionist. In the other Gospels, it talks about he had, he had taken part or led a, re, a, a revolution, a revolt against the Romans. And so it's really interesting that the people rejected Jesus, the truth, for a revolutionary. 
And oftentimes, that's, that's what we want. We would, rather, we would go for the revolutionary, because what does a revolutionary do? They say, man, this is messed up. We're going to take up arms. We're going to take up force. And we're going to take it to the powers that be, and we're going to turn things upside down. And that's how we're going to create a better world. And that's, that's the way of, of human nature uh, in and of ourselves. And the reality is, and some of you, you know, come from countries where there have been revolutions a lot more recently than the U.S. has had one. And our revolution was really much more principled than many revolutions are. But revolutions rarely turn out well, actually. There's, because if it's just out of human anger and it's just another power struggle, and it doesn't really bring justice, it doesn't really get to the fundamental issues that are, that are messing up a, a, a culture and a society. And so, but that is, we tend to go for Barabbas. We go for the false Messiah instead of the real Messiah. We go for the, the, the one, the, the, the answer that's through, through force and human ability instead of by the means of God's kingdom. Um, yeah. So, man, how do we get on the side of truth? How do, we, how do we have the truth in us? Well, the amazing thing is that not only does Jesus testify about the truth, but he is the truth. And this is huge. Our theme is, is the truth in you? It's not enough to, like, know the truth, but it's having the truth in you. Jesus had said, what we just read, if he who is of the truth, there's, it's, the goal is to have the truth of God come and get inside of us. And in John 14, 6, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he's having a conversation with, with one of them, Thomas. And Jesus said to him, in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Man, this is, this is deep stuff right here. Jesus says, I, looking at himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Good to see you, man. So, all right, can you hear me? All right, thank you. It's a good man right there. That, that's, it seems arrogant to say that one way is right. Because that's saying that other ways are wrong. And, man, that's, that's, that's going to hurt somebody's feelings. I mean, that's... How do you say, and it's arrogant, because then how do you know which one's the right one? But Jesus says, there is one truth, and I'm it. It's exclusive. And the reality is, is that everybody's exclusive. 
You can't help but be exclusive. Even if you say all religions are equally true, that's an exclusive belief. That's saying that if you don't believe all religions are equally true, you're wrong. You're judging that view. We won't tolerate intolerance. You have to have, uh, you have, to have an exclusive belief. And it's interesting, the more you talk to people of different religions, the more learned they are, the more involved they are in their faith, the less relativistic they are going to be. And they're going to say, well, yes, I believe my way is the best way. I, I believe that this is, and, and the more devoted you are, you, this, there aren't a lot of ways. There's, this, this is the path. And so we're, out, we're, all, we're all actually exclusivist. Even Ravi Zacharias, the apologist, says, and even in India, which India is the, the center of, moral rel- uh, of philosophical relativism and the idea that you can have a lot of different truths. But Ravi Zacharias, who's from India, says, even in India, before you cross the street, you look both ways. Because if a car hits you, that's the truth. There's an objective truth. There is a car coming down the road. If it hits you, you're hurt. And it doesn't matter what sort of mental games you play. Like, there's a truth, and there's one, either you're hit or you're not. And we all, that, like, that's the reality that we all live in, decide, despite the silliness of, of relativism. But actually, it's, we go there not just because, we go there because we don't want to judge. And because it's difficult. It's easier to say, like, well, we all, like, there's a lot of good in every belief system. And there actually is a lot of good in most belief systems, in a lot of belief systems. But it's harder to say, you know, it's my responsibility to sort through things and to weigh and figure out what really is the truth. That takes more work. That takes more responsibility. But that really is the responsibility that everyone has. And so truth is exclusive. We have the responsibility to weigh the options. Truth is also, and this is, this is really radical, this is really deep, but Jesus said, I am the truth. Truth is personal. Truth is a person. And truth is personal. Truth is not just an idea. Truth is not just a fact or a principle. But Jesus is the truth. And we can come to know the truth by coming to know Jesus. Jesus brings the truth to us as through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. We experience, we encounter and ex- experience the truth. And someone, every one of us whose lives have been transformed through Jesus, there's a reality to, wow, I encountered the truth. The truth encountered me. And how do I know it changed my life? I was lost, and now I'm found. I was angry, and God has changed me. There's a power of his truth that is not just an idea, but it's real and personal. Um, you know, if, if, if the truth is a person, if the truth is personal, then it's possible to know the right facts, even the right facts about what's right and wrong, and still not be in the truth. Right? Even like, like, the, like the religious leaders who were turning Jesus over. Like they had a lot of really good facts down about how to follow God. But they weren't in the truth. And those of you who are married know this better than those of you who aren't. Because if you don't, then I really feel sorry for you. But it is so easy in all of our interactions to be right, but to be wrong. 
right? Especially if we're males, <laughs> even more so. But it's, you know, females got this going on too. We can be so right. And, you know, a lot of times we think we're right, but we're not. But we actually might be right about the facts, but our insistence on winning the argument is doing great damage to the relationship. And we're not in the truth. We're not right, although we feel like we are. All right, did you guys see the news this past week about the, the Russians and Facebook and what's really going on? The, you know, since the election, it's been this back and forth. This is just so interesting. The Republicans, or the Democrats saying, hey, the Russians got involved. They meddled with things. They supported the Republicans. And that's why Trump won. The Russians are for the Republicans. And the Republicans are coming back like, well, we've got this evidence that Hillary's party met with the Russians. And actually, the Russians are for the Democrats. And they were working with them. And so it's this question like, who were the Russians helping? Were they helping the Democrats or the Republicans? Well, the evidence that's come out is that, guess what? The Russians aren't for the Democrats or the Republicans. They're for the Russians. <laughs> and they're not for America. They're for Russia. And actually what they've been doing, they have been doing pretty skillful propaganda. But what they are doing is they are seeking to bring division. They are sowing ammunition to both sides. And they, they, find, they found hot-button topics, gun control, immigration, religion, civil rights, and they, multiple just groups that they started and got followers and advocated ideas to feed both sides to increase the division in our nation. And so you got people like, man, no, this is so right. We've got to fight for this cause. And people on the other side, no, we've got to fight for this cause. And the enemy's going, yeah, you guys keep fighting each other. This is great. This is what I want to happen. There were actually, there was one case where there was a mosque that opened in, in Houston. And the, our friends from Russia started, they, they, they rallied support to have people go uh, support the opening of this mosque. And dozens of people showed up to support the opening of the mosque. And then they started another group to protest the mosque. And people literally, they were successful in getting two sides mobilized to show up and protest in actual real time this event. And the Russians were behind both of them. How about that? How, many, how do you now think about your discussions with your friends and other people? Maybe that's going on more than we realize. Maybe this is the way our enemy works. To bring so much evidence and ammunition and what seems like truth to our side of the issue. But we don't realize that he's doing the same thing to the other side. And the truth is not in either one of those sides. But it's something beyond that. Something above that. The truth is in the person of Jesus. And I love this. In John chapter 1, It's kind of ironic. I was so excited about starting this series about taking a stand and living with conviction and courage. And we're going to delve into that, especially next week. But the more I got into it, it's like, we have to be careful. Because if we're just taking a stand on our moral high ground, we're probably missing it. We're missing the answer that the kingdom of God has for us. John 1.14, talking about Jesus. The truth. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen His glory. 
Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's very insightful that we see the truth is embodied in Jesus, but truth is always married with grace. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Truth is not a sledgehammer that you beat someone up with, but it's, it's there to help, to bring healing, to bring restoration, and it's, it's coupled with truth, with grace. And that's, that, that's different, right? That's a whole different thing. It's, it's personal. It's, okay, this is, this is, these are true principles, but yet, how do they come to bring grace into someone's life? How do they come to help restore someone? How do they come to help heal someone? How do they come to help bring us into the fullness of what God intends for our lives? That's what God's truth is all about. That's what it does. And so God, he wants us to walk in that. He wants us to to know him more, to to be connected with Jesus. And, you know, really it all comes down to what do we believe about Jesus? Who, Who is Jesus? Is he the truth? Jesus, at one point in his ministry, he turned to his disciples and he said, hey, who do the people say that I am? And he said, well, some say this prophet, that prophet, you know, you're one of the prophets. Basically, you're, you're, they say you're a good man. That's actually a common belief about Jesus today. And actually, in most of the religions of the world would say that Jesus was a good man, or Jesus was a prophet. And then Jesus looked at them and said, well, who do you say that I am? Again, it doesn't matter, I'm not asking what everybody else says, but what about you? And Peter looked at him and he said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And you didn't know that by yourself, but flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. Knowing who Jesus is is a matter of revelation. It's a matter of God revealing who Jesus is to us. But that is the ultimate truth. You know, we can think about what issues are we taking a stand on? And man, my head, I spent a part of last week thinking about the whole immigration issue and thinking, man, what could I do? What could we do to help bring truth to that issue? And I'm still wrestling with that. It seems like, man, that's something we really, there, there are answers, it seems like, in that. But of all the issues we look at, God has a heart for the immigration issue. He has a heart for the racism issue. He has a heart for the sexuality questions and gender questions in our culture. He has answers for that. But behind all that, is the question, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? And are we connected to Jesus? In in Acts 17, Paul, the apostle, was preaching, and he said, in Acts 17, 30, he said, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, from the dead. You know, the ultimate thing that will judge each of our lives is not how good or bad we were about this issue or that issue. It's what did we do? How do we respond to the person of Jesus? Jesus is the one who will judge the world. And what we will be judged on is whether we believed him 
to be who he said he was, whether we put our trust in him and align our life with him. And I think about Manhattan and think about this room, who we are. A lot of people, probably a majority of people in Manhattan, if you surveyed them, would say, if there was a question, do you believe that Jesus is the truth? I bet a majority of people would check yes. If you said, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe Jesus is the Savior of the world? Yes. But how many of you know there's a difference between saying you believe that in your head and, and living that? You know, it's the problem of nominalism. Of like, yeah, I, I, I give lip service to something, but it hasn't really shaped my life. I'm not living out of that truth. And believing in Jesus is not just about answering the right questions on a survey, but it's, it's living for him. We give the analogy of a parachute. Like you can say, ah, I believe in this parachute. It's a great parachute. I bet if I jumped out of a plane, it would bring me safely to the ground. But real faith is strapping that parachute on and jumping out of the plane. And the same thing, believing in Jesus as the Christ, is believing in him as Lord, is, not, is letting him shape our thought processes and our decisions and living for him in, in every aspect of our life. So the, the question is, man, are we making decisions and taking, as we're taking action and making decisions and forming beliefs, what is our source for that? Are we, is it the views of our culture, is what we're reading online, or are we really going to the Lord Jesus and saying, Lord, what do you have to say about this? And Lord, how can I live this out? How can I embody this in my life in the same way that, that, you, that you embody it? So, I, I really want to leave us this morning with, man, how, what can we do with this? How can, we, how can we live this out? Here are some next steps. And these are different, depending on where you're at. Um, if, you, if you're at the place this morning, and I, I hope there are people here in this place this morning, that you're not yet sure, you haven't yet trusted Jesus as your Savior, as your leader, I would encourage you to investigate the question of, is Jesus who he claimed to be? Because if he is, that's the ultimate question that changes everything. And a great way to do that is read the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament that are the accounts of Jesus' life. Read through those and ask God as you're reading, God, will you reveal yourself to me? Will you reveal the truth to me? And you're on your handout, there's a the weekly reading. There are several chapters from the Gospel of John. Even if you just read those this week and said, God, will you reveal the truth to me? God could show up in powerful ways and help you encounter him in a personal way. You know, if you're, if you're here this morning, you've never confessed Jesus as your, as your liberator and as your Lord, as your Savior and your leader, then, man, that's an essential step of basing your life on the truth. Of, before you can take a stand about anything else, you need to take a stand about, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for Christ. And I'm going to make that decision, and then I'm going to confess it. I'm going to speak it to other people. Now, some of us maybe, yeah, I've, I've, I've done that, but I've never, like, I don't confess that to people around me. Maybe that's the challenge for you is to, to look for opportunities to be courageous, to bring Jesus into the conversation, to, in a gracious way, not just talk about issues, but point people to the truth who really has the answers for them and for the world. Ne a next, next step for you might be to get baptized. Baptism is a public identification with Jesus. It's taking a stand and saying, hey, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to follow him. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a follower of Jesus for the rest of my life. And then, this, this last one really applies to all of us, and it may look different in different ways, but the next step would be to look to Jesus with the questions that you or others or our culture are facing. So as the, the different issues in your life, whether it's a moral decision or whether it's a relationship issue, or maybe it's a bigger cultural issue, look to Jesus for his answers. And that's both the, the what of like what should be done and also the how. How should I go about doing this? How can I live this out in a gracious, relational, personal way that's going to make a difference in people's lives? We're going to uh, now take communion together. And I just think it's a great opportunity for us to, 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 to live this out, to practice this. Jesus is the truth. He's the source. He's the one we're looking to. And it's not just, again, it's looking not just to an idea, but to a person. And we connect, we, f- we get the truth in us as we connect with Jesus. And communion is really a time for us to, to connect with Jesus in a fresh way, to put our trust in him in a fresh way. In John 18.37, what, earlier from what Jesus was talking, uh, what, what he said to Pilate, I'm going to read this again. He said, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That word of literally means out from and to. It's the idea that you have the truth in you and shaping you. And then you live out of that. And it's more than just outward ideas or circumstances, or, you know, outward things, but it's something on the inside. The deeper something is inside of us, the greater the impact it will have. And you know, this morning, I just want to encourage us as we take communion that it's a time to, to go to God and say, God, I want to connect with you. I want to know your ways. I want to live out of that relationship in a greater way. I want to live out of that today and beyond. And if you're here this day and you've, you've never recognized Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, And this could be a chance for you to do that. If you would just in your own heart say, Lord, I I turn from my sin. And I want to live for you. And I trust what you did on the cross to give me a new life and be my truth. And taking communion could be the first act that you do in this new life. Um, But if you're already a believer, then this is a a way to renew your faith in Christ. It's a way to to draw near to him. It's a a way of of recognizing that, that his sacrifice is how we can come to be on the side of truth. It's not that we all, we're on the other side. But it was his sacrifice, what he did on the cross, of giving his, 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 his life for us, spilling his blood for us. That's what allows us to be in the truth. And really thanking him for that and celebrating that and trusting him in a fresh way. And you know, also, as we take communion, I just want to encourage us to bring any attitudes, any, any beliefs, any anger, any unforgiveness, whatever it would be that maybe is kept, that has kept us from the truth fullness of the truth and grace and say, God, I want to let go of those. I want to repent of those. And I want to receive your sacrifice 
your forgiveness and trust in you this morning. Um, if you're here this morning and you want to take communion, you can, let's just go ahead and stand up and form lines on the sides and go back and get the bread and the cup. And we'll come back to our seats and we'll take that together. As you're in your seat, let's go ahead and just bow your heads, bow our heads. Let's come before, before God, come before our Lord, whatever you want to bring to Him, whatever you need to trust Him with, if there's anything you need to turn from, any place you need to receive His truth and His grace in your life. do that. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can know the truth. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Lord, we thank you that, that your truth for us is so much more gracious than we deserve. So that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself. We thank you for that reconciliation. We thank you for, for bringing us to you, for bringing your, your truth into the world in a way that, that also forgives us and restores us and is restoring the world. Well, this morning, we turn to you in a fresh way. In this moment, we say, Lord, thank you. We want to live out of your truth. We want to live out of your presence. Help us to do that, whether for the first time or to a greater level. We look to you and thank you. We receive from you. 
In Jesus' name. Let's go ahead and take the bread and take the cup together.